Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Very familiar portion of scripture. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So today I want to welcome you to our sermon series, When God Does Not Make Sense. You can be seated. I don't foresee this uh, message being one that uh, we'll be clapping a lot and shouting a lot and jumping a lot and running a lot. But it's extremely important to understand what we are to do when we get to points in our lives where God does not make sense to us in our human mind. When things are going on and God is orchestrating things uh, behind the scenes that we can't see. And sometimes we get to a point in life where we just do not understand what is going on. And there are times where uh, God may even seem silent or where he might seem inattentive to our situation. And that's what I want to really focus on. This is a sermon series, so when God does not make sense is a sermon series, but today I want to focus on this subject, when God seems silent and inattentive. When God seems silent and inattentive, what do we do when we experience the silence of God? What do we do when we feel like our prayers are not being heard? What do we do when we go through moments in our life and it might be the hardest moment you've ever been through and you're crying out and you have questions and nothing? Just like this. Silence. How many of you will be honest and say, that there have been times where you are wondering what God was up to. Yeah, if we're honest, everybody will raise their hand. Now, how many, uh, have you ever experienced the silence of God? Have you ever wondered if God was really listening to your prayers? Everybody can raise their hand to those, those questions. And I want to tell you up front, it's not because God is inattentive. But there are other things that we can't see that are going on in our lives. So today I want to talk about what do we do in those situations. And we're going to look at uh, a guy in the Bible. I'm going to get to him in a little bit, but uh, John the Baptist. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. He went through a really, really difficult point in his life, and that's what we're going to focus on today. If we're honest, we'll all agree that we've experienced the silence of God at some point in our life. Maybe we doubted, maybe our faith stayed strong, but there was a point where our questions went unanswered for a period of time. Sometimes it seems like it's the hardest moments in our lives when we believe that we need to hear God the most. Silence. 
We look around at people who have their lives all together, who have strong prayer lives and God's blessing them and, and multiplying blessings and, and, and they're getting all the answers that they're asking God and, and we're sitting here and we're living faithfully and we're doing everything we're supposed to. We're reading the word, we're studying the word, we're praying, we're fasting and our questions are still going unanswered. And we look around at everybody who looks like they have their lives together and we think, God, why can't you just answer me? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I'm being faithful to the house of God. I'm studying your word. I'm praying. I'm fasting. And I don't hear from you what's going on. I believe that we've all been there before. And I don't know. I hope I'm not the only one, but that sounds like a pretty familiar situation. We pray for healing. We pray for direction. We pray for uh, a job. We pray for clarity, all these things and, and nothing. And we call out, we pray so earnestly calling on the name of Jesus and nothing. Sometimes we get upset and we think, God, why can't you just answer me? I just have a simple question and yet you answer everybody else but me. What do we do in those situations? Well, I want to tell you that in the scripture in Isaiah, what God is trying to reveal is that there are going to be times you'll go through situations in your life and you won't understand what I'm doing. There will be times uh, and things that you go through and, and you won't know why I'm doing this or you think I'll operate one way, but that's not how I'm going to take care of it. The huge, one huge point, I, I only got two points today, one huge point that I want to hit first, just because God is silent does not mean God is absent. Just because God is silent does not mean he's absent. Too many times when we experience the silence of God, you have the enemy that comes at you saying, God's not really listening to you. God's not going to answer your prayer, et cetera, et cetera. But just because God is not giving you the answer that you're looking for in the time that you think you need it does not mean that he's not at work. I want to encourage you that if it seems like God is silent, keep praying. If it seems like God is silent, keep fasting. If it seems like God is silent in your life, keep reading the word because God speaks to us through the word through our spirit, through our mind. He speaks to us in so many different ways. But God is not a God of absence or inattentiveness. God is not one who just throws you to the wolves and says, okay, now you're in this situation, figure it out, and he walks away from you. That is not the God we serve. We serve a loving and caring God that even though we walk through the fire and it might seem like we're not getting the answers we look for and it might seem like God is not speaking to you, though we walk through the fire, he is there with us. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through the fiery furnace, and King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, I see four men, and one looks like the Son of God, because God is always there. And as long as we're living for him, he's always orchestrating our lives the way, the best way. Not the way we think all the time, but the best way. So I want to talk about John the Baptist for a little while. Who knows who John the Baptist is? Yeah, John the Baptist. This dude was the real deal. This guy 
was a prophet that lived out in the wilderness, and he was the one who declared and prepared the way for the Messiah to come, which we know was Jesus. This guy lived in the wilderness. He wore rough animal skins. He ate locusts and honey. He lived alone, and he preached the hard message, repentance. I don't know how popular you would be if you were John the Baptist right now. I mean, he wasn't the most popular guy back then either. But he was living out his calling. He knew what he was called to do, and that's what he did. So we uh, get to a period in John's life where King Herod, he gets into a little bit of trouble. He kind of dances around the laws a little bit. He falls in love with his sister-in-law, basically. He falls in love with his brother's wife. So he divorces his wife so he could marry his sister-in-law. Herodias was her name. So Herod marries Herodias, divorces his wife, and when John saw it, he confronted it. John said, you can't do this. This is not right. One thing you got to know about John is he always stood up for what was right, no matter what the consequence was. He always stood up for what was right. So Mark 6, 17 through 20 is uh, the account of where John stood up for righteousness. For Herod himself has sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. What a weirdo. Who does that? For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel. A quarrel is a grudge. She nursed a, judge, a, a grudge against John and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy and, and, holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So even though John confronted this evil that was going on, this sin that had happened, Herod still feared him because he knew the God that he served. So Herod, even though he threw him in prison, he protected him against Herodias because she was just going to kill him. Like she, she was going to cut off his head right there. But Herod was like, no, I'll throw you in prison. So John gets put in prison for standing up for what was right. He would not allow something so wrong to go unnoticed. And he got arrested because of it. John faithfully served God. He prepared the way for Jesus, and he was arrested for what was doing for doing what was right. He was arrested for confronting wrongdoing. Surely Jesus would break him out of prison. Surely Jesus would shake the very foundations of that prison and blow the doors off the place, blow the roof off the place, and John would walk out a free man. Surely that was what was going to happen. But in the meantime, do you think that John wavered in his faith, sitting in prison? Do do you think that maybe he might have doubted a little bit? Well, let's, let's look at it real quick. John was a human, like us, right? He was a prophet. In Matthew 11, we can see what was going on in his head. Okay, Matthew 11, 2 and 3. And when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, 
art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? So uh, John's disciples were visiting him, and they were telling him about what was going on with this guy, Jesus. His, his fame had started to grow, and people started to hear about him, and his disciples were kind of telling him what was going on. So John says, this sounds like the one I'm, I've been called to prepare the way for. This sounds like the, the Messiah that's going to come and save everybody and, and, and uh, make atonement for all of the sins. So he sends his disciples because John's in prison. He can't really walk out and go ask Jesus himself. So John sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for? He wanted to be sure in his spirit that this Christ that he was hearing about was the one that he was preparing the way for. But what did Jesus say to him? I find this really interesting about what Jesus said. So he said, when the disciples came and asked Jesus, John's question, are you the one? You would think Jesus would say, yes, I'm the one. I am the Messiah. I am the God in flesh. I'm the one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at midnight, John. Don't worry. I'm going to break you out. You're going to come with me, and we're going we're gonna to walk this earth together, and we're going to preach the message. Not exactly. Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus didn't directly say, Yeah, I'm, I'm God in flesh. I am the I am, and I'm coming to break you out. Jesus told John's disciples to go back and just tell him what you see. Just tell him what you hear about me. Just go and tell John that. So Jesus sent the disciples back to John. And John, here's what they have to say. But I wonder what he was thinking when they returned. I wonder what what was going through his mind when they told him what they said, what Jesus had told him to tell him. Jesus is healing people and performing miracles, and I believe that John knew who Jesus was, and I believe that, that John's faith was increased when they came back and told him, yeah, this is what he's doing. It sounds like the Messiah. I know it's the Messiah. But Jesus is out performing miracles and, and doing all these wonderful things and preaching the word, but he told his disciples to go back and tell him. Jesus didn't visit John in prison. Jesus didn't come to John and say, yes, I'm the one. I'm, I'm healing, uh, healing the sick. I'm giving the sight back to the blind. I'm doing all these things uh, that the prophecy has said that I will do. And John's saying, yes, you are the Messiah. Now break me out. Let's go. But the, the interesting verse is verse 6, Matthew 11 and 6. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when I was uh, kind of studying and praying about this, um, this scripture, uh, because it hit me in a way that it, it, it almost sounds like that scripture doesn't belong there. Because it, it's God, uh, Jesus saying, 
I'm performing all the prophecies. I'm, I'm completing everything that Isaiah and the Old Testament prophets have said that I was going to complete. And blessed is he whosoever is not offended by me. And I think John, after he hears all this stuff about what Jesus is doing, he's like, well, can't Jesus come and tell me that? Can't Jesus come and just show me a little bit? Can't Jesus just come and bust me out of jail? Can't he just show me a little proof of his power? And Jesus continues to preach and do miracles, and yet John is still waiting, faithful to the cause. His faith was still there, but he was in the darkest, loneliest point in his life. And Jesus didn't come by to visit him. Jesus didn't come by to tell him, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're waiting for. And John sits and waits trying to keep his faith in the darkest point of his life. I've never been in prison. But I think prisons back then were a lot scarier than they are now. I don't know where he was at in prison. I don't know if he was like um, some of the other uh, apostles and followers of Christ that were sent into the inner prison. I don't know where he was. I assume that he was probably alone that he was the only man of faith in the prison, surrounded by criminals, surrounded by uh, enemies that wouldn't think twice to kill him, and yet he's there in the darkest, dangerous place in his life, waiting to die. I don't know if he knew that yet, but that's what he was doing. So Jesus continues to preach and do miracles. John's waiting, and in the meantime, Herod's throwing his birthday party. Herod's just partying it up, and he's, he's hanging out. He's invited all the big wigs in the land, and, and he's just chilling out, doing whatever they do back then. I'm sure it was a crazy party because he was the king, right? So he had all the money, everything he could ever want. There's a lot of things going on at the party, and his wife's daughter starts to dance. And I don't know what kind of dance it was, but the dance was great and wonderful in the eyes of Herod and all the guys that were with him. So he, he shows off a little bit in front of everybody. And in Mark six twenty two through 23, Herod says, I'll give you, I'm not going to read it, but that, that's where the scripture is. It says Herod says, I will give you whatever you want until the half of my kingdom. Talk about a tall order. My goodness. I'll give you whatever you want, even to the half of, your, uh, half of my kingdom. Just tell me and I'll give it to you. So this young girl goes to ask her mom, what should I ask for? To put it in today's context, I imagine the, the girl running up, mom, I should ask for like an iPhone. I should ask for like a laptop. I should ask for, for a horse or what, what do I ask for? And Herodias just kind of looks at her and I just imagine, have you ever uh, seen The Emperor's New Groove? That movie, the Disney movie? And Yzma is like the lady who's trying to take over the, the empire from Cusco, I just imagine Yzma, that freaky-looking, purple-skinned lady, old lady, giving that crooked, evil smile and looking at her daughter and say, ask for John the Baptist's head. What? Why would your mom ask you to ask your stepdad for your mom's enemy's head? What kind of messed up thing is going on here? Who tells their daughter to ask for somebody's head on a platter? 
That just shows you how twisted Herodias's heart was. And that grudge was so strong against John that she didn't care who, was, who, who thought anything about her. She just wanted him dead. But that just blows my mind. Why would a mom ask her daughter for that? I would love to be able to tell you that at this moment, Jesus busts through the door and there's smoke and there's fire going on and, and, and he's saying, because of your sins, I will slay all of you and everybody gets uh, struck down dead and, and John's prison door is open and here comes John busting through the door to escape with Jesus and lived happily ever after in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and never had a care in the world again. I'd love to be able to tell you that's how the story ended. But let's really take a look at it. Mark 6, 26 through 29. And remember the young girl asked Herod for John's head. And the king was exceeding sorry. Why? Well, it said not too long ago that Herod knew who John was. He knew that he was a child of God. He knew that he was a chosen prophet. So he was sorry that he had to do this. Yet for his oath's sake and for the, their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Well, it didn't end the way that we were hoping. To a point, Herod did protect John from Herodias. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, he was a king, and he gave his word. And now, he had all these guys witness it. And now he can't go back on his word. So he said, okay, I'll give you what you want. But John lived out his calling to the T. John did what he was called to do. He prepared the way for the Lord. He was preaching repentance. He was baptizing people. He was getting people ready for the message to be spread across the earth. And when we read this, uh, this ending, some people would say that this does not fit our Americanized form of Jesus. You guys know the one I'm talking about, the one where every story ends in a promotion and a bunch of money and, and a bunch of success and, and, and grace and mercy and, and everything good that happens and nothing bad. This doesn't fit our Americanized form of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't visit John in prison. Jesus didn't go and visit him once. Actually, when he found out that John was in prison, he went to Gal or he stayed or went to Galilee. He didn't didn't go and visit him. And he knew John baptized Jesus. But he didn't go visit John. Some would even say that Jesus seemed inattentive to John's situation. Some would say that Jesus seemed like he didn't care or he was ignoring what was going on. But can I tell you that there were things going on? that were in John's best interest during that whole time? Jesus. John had completed his calling, and Jesus was building off of that. 
and extending the, the gospel, to, or not the gospel, but extending the message of repentance all over the place. And he was uh, doing miracles, signs, and wonders, and he was doing all these great things. And people started to follow Jesus, and Jesus started to uh, gain fame, and people were hearing about him and coming out to see him and coming out to hear his message and, and to see what he would teach next and to see the next miracle. If John had not prepared the way, I don't know what would have happened. But Jesus was working on eternal things and John didn't lose faith. John stayed faithful in his darkest moment, in in the most dangerous point in his life. He kept the faith in God because he knew that though he was in prison, he was working on his calling and he had prepared the way and he was preaching repentance and he was baptizing and he was doing everything that he was called to do. The truth is that Jesus had his best interest in mind the whole time. Jesus was working towards the cross. Jesus was working towards the goal that he had come to do. And John allowed Jesus to have a platform to launch from. John prepared the way. When we go through difficult times in our lives, it seems like God is silent or inattentive, but remember to continue steadfastly in the word and prayer. Continue steadfastly in faith and trust, knowing and believing that God has your best interest in mind. The second point that I want to bring up, I'm not going to be too much longer, I promise. The second point I want to bring up is you don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't have to understand the plan that God has. You just have to trust his purpose. Many times we try to tell God how to answer prayer or expect certain outcomes and tell him how to do this and how to do that, when in reality, just let God work his plan out and just trust his purpose that he's always looking out for our best interest. And, and we continue in prayer, continue in the, in the word, and, and continue doing everything that we know to do, and God will work it out for your best interest. I know it doesn't always look like the way we want it to look like, and I know it doesn't always sound like or happen the way we want it to, but the way God does it is the best way and the way it should be done. And when we try and work things out on our own, that's when things start falling apart. When we take destiny by the horns, as people would say you're supposed to do, and we take the pen out of God's hands, that's when we mess up and that's when things happen. That's when we're not fulfilled uh, in our life. And that's when we definitely don't hear the voice of God the way we want to. Proverbs 19 and 21 says, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The word devices means plans. There's many plans in this heart for my success and for what I want to do and for my life. But if we hand that over to God, there will be so much better things that will come, more than we could ever hope to think for. When things don't seem to be going the way they should, Remember that the will of God is that which will come through. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. 
just as our opening text describes, God's purposes are higher than ours. We're unable to understand the way God works because he works on a different level than our minds work. The only way that we can understand is through divine revelation that God will give us. But I want to tell you that sometimes we go through uh, situations in our life and we don't know what else to do. We've done everything we know to do. We've done everything Sunday school taught us to do. We've done everything that the pastor has told us to do. And nothing. It can be so frustrating. I want to tell you uh, a story about what um, Tasha and I have gone through. Uh, Pardon the personal reference, but um, before church, I wasn't even planning on sharing this, but... Uh, I really feel like this will help bring things together. So um, Tosh and I had just got married. We actually just celebrated our one-year anniversary, by the way. So after Tosh and I got married, we moved um, to West Allis, and uh, we wanted to be close to Tanya and Rob. So we were trying to find houses that were close, you know, in the general area, Cindy's going to try and help me preach this story. Um, No. So we were trying to find houses in the general area, and we found a wonderful wonderful duplex that we were like, yeah, this one's awesome. We love this one. The landlord's nice. You know, everything's good. So we're kind of going through, and we didn't meet the tenants above us beforehand. So we were like, okay, yeah, this is cool. They weren't home, I guess, when we were going to check it out, and we just never got a chance to really meet. So... Uh, we decided to go ahead and sign the contract, and we're we're good there. We move in. Everything's good. It's wonderful. We're getting all moved in. Uh, you know, things are going pretty smoothly. Uh, I was getting ready to start a new job. Like, I had a ton of changes in my life. And then I'm, I went out and, and met our neighbor, and he was cool. You know, I was, yeah, he was, he's a cool guy. Uh, I met him the first time, and we kind of talked a little bit. Didn't have time because I had to run to a job interview with BMO Harris Bank. So I'm like, you know, I got to go. Sorry. Nice to meet you, you know, and left. And, uh, you know, I get back. Everything's good. And then Father's Day, my family comes and visits. The faithful day. Um, My parents were getting ready to leave. And this was before they moved back to Mississippi. So my parents get ready to leave. Now, as I'm walking my dad out to his car, that door flies open on the porch on the second level. I'm telling you, all kinds of obscenities came from that. All kinds of hurtful things about me being a Christian, all kinds of hurtful things about my dad, about my family. I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my, you know, I don't know what's going on. The police came out like it was a horrible situation. That continued for months. And when I say months, I mean it months. All through summer, all through winter, it was going on. And I didn't know what to do. You, there were times that we would sit on the couch together and I'd start crying because I didn't know what to do. And I would pray, I'd get on my knees and I'd be like, God, what do I need to do? What is going on? Nothing. What's happening? Nothing. Why is this happening? Nothing. For months, through prayer 
And it felt like God, honestly, if I can be completely transparent, there was a point where I felt like God did not care what was going on. That was early, you know, like within the first couple days. I was like, why can't you just resolve, why can't you resolve this? Something, something's happening. I didn't cause anything to happen, and yet things are coming at me that I don't understand. Nothing. And it continued, and I kept praying, kept fasting, kept reading the word, kept on being faithful, kept on praying, kept fasting, kept reading the word, kept being faithful. Everything I knew to do for months, nothing. And then it got to a point, we learned to live with it. We're like, okay, this is going to happen. We'll just hurry up and run into the door, unlock it, and get inside real quick before he says anything. We learned to live with wrongdoing in our life. We learned to live with something that was not of God happening in our life and to us. We learned to live with the attacks of the enemy, if you will. I think a lot of us tend to do that. We learn to live and adapt to adversity rather than pray about it, rather than seek the face of God about it. So that's what's going on the first time the first time that God spoke to me in that situation was in January. That was the first time I heard the voice of God. And I was at church the night before praying about it. And I finally said, God, it's yours. You deal with it. I can't do it on my own. There's nothing that I can say. There's nothing I can do to make this situation right. I need your help. The next day I was getting out of the car and he was shoveling the snow off the driveway and I'm like, here it goes. I'm going to walk by and he's just going to cuss me out and all kinds of things. And right when I got out of the car, God spoke to me, said, ask if he needs help. I was like, what? No, no, because I'm going to ask him and he's just going to go light into me. So I went up to him, and I was kind of like walking like this because I didn't want to just walk over there and be like, hey, do you need help? So I'm like trying, God, you going to change your mind now? Can you tell me something else? But I got, I got up to our neighbor, and I said, can I go inside and change and grab my shovel, and I'll help you shovel the rest of the driveway off. He looked at me. I thought, punches were going to start flying. I started getting ready a little bit, you know. You know what I'm saying? Like when you approach a threatening situation, you're like, okay, just preparing for the worst here. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he's like, are we going to finish this right now? I was like, them's fighting words. Dude's going to start throwing punches. That's what I thought. And then he apologized to me for everything that he had done. He said, I've been, this has been weighing on my heart for months. And I, I, I felt like there was a weight lifted off of me. There was something in that moment. There was healing and restoration that happened right there. And I went inside and I changed and I grabbed my shovel. And we started shoveling together. I say all that to say, God was orchestrating other things during that period of silence. There were things going on in the spirit that I could not see, but God was fi- 
doing things. God was preparing my heart and was preparing my neighbor's heart for forgiveness. God was teaching me how to war in prayer. I tell you, I didn't know what spiritual warfare was until I was in that situation and I had to fight battles in prayer. I had to fight on my knees and God taught me through that period of silence how to pray in warfare. Those are things that I could not see. Those are things that I could never even predict what were going to happen. To me, it felt like God was ignoring me in that situation. It felt like he was inattentive, like he didn't, wasn't even worried about it. And I was supposed to go through it on my own and take it into my own hands and do what I think I should do. When in reality, through that period of silence, I did not understand the plan of God, but I still trusted God's purpose because I knew from what my mom used to tell me that all good works to them that love God. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if it seems like God's silent or inattentive in your life and in your struggle right now. But I want to tell you that just because God's silent does not mean he's absent and you don't have to understand the plan to trust his purpose. Because I just want to encourage you again, I know I've said it multiple times, but all good will work out if you just put your trust in God. So what do we do? when we're in those situations, keep on praying. Keep on seeking the face of God. Keep on fasting. Keep on strong in the word. Keep on being faithful. And through those periods of silence, Tanya, you can come. Through those periods of silence, there are other things that God's working on. There are other things that he's orchestrating so that when the silence breaks, power and anointing and new things learned will flow from that experience. If we could all stand, I'm going to close right now. Like I said, I don't know where you're at, but if you find yourself today in a fight that you do not understand, or you find yourself today in a period of silence and you have questions that you're asking God and it seems like it's just falling on deaf ears, God's not deaf. God hears. Prayers are eternal. When you pray, they're forever in the throne room of God. So I want to encourage you. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. That if you feel like that's you today, if you feel desperate to hear the voice of God, I want you to come right now. Even if you don't, if that's not, maybe that's not you today. Maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe uh, he's answering all your questions right now. I still want you to come today. Because there are times that we all go through periods in our life where God does not make sense. When God seems inattentive, when he's silent towards us and our questions are not being answered and, and the things that we're trying to seek him for are not uh, he's not giving clear direction or he's not speaking to us like we expect him to. I just want you to know that God has your best interest in mind. And if we just give it to him, only good can come from it. 
There are many plans and desires in our heart, in man's heart, but the will of the Lord will prevail. I don't know about you, but that's what I want today. I want his will in my life. I don't want my plans. I want his desires and his will to come through in my life. And yes, even when God seems silent and when he seems inattentive, he's still working for me and he's not against me. If we could all just lift our hands and begin to give God some worship, give God some praise and ask him,